Just want to make sure that you're all here for the presentation on militant health professionals for real health care reform. So, uh, not really. Okay. Well, uh, oh, that's, that's the next presentation. But it's uh, a lot of things going on out there. And uh, what opportunities for those of us in the health care fields and who are Christians and who can uh, take our uh, faith and uh, commitment to help others uh, with us and uh, just uh, open up a lot of doors of opportunity. I'm Dan Hussar. I am a pharmacist and I teach at the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy. have uh, been there for many years, so if you ever run into pharmacists who graduated from Philadelphia College of Pharmacy, chances are that I was one of their faculty members. And I'm on the board of directors of the Christian Pharmacist Fellowship International. One of our past presidents, Keith Allhands, is uh, uh, here for this presentation. And uh, I'm pleased to have this opportunity to uh, share some perspectives on the development of new antiretroviral agents and to try to put some perspective relative to their, the role they will have in drug therapy now and uh, in the future. This is really a moving target as uh, we were just talking a little bit here in terms of uh, the development of new therapeutic agents and the hope, unfortunately I think a rather distant hope for the possible development of a vaccine that could protect against AIDS. And uh, there's a certain irony and, uh, you know, I we, we could <clears throat> get into many aspects of the occurrence of HIV infections slash AIDS, but there, there's no question that some individuals who experience AIDS have experienced it as a consequence of participation in lifestyles that aren't a match for our values as Christians. And uh, uh, the irony is that we do so much to try to develop treatments and preventative measures when we know the cause uh, for some of these experiences. And this is not to be judgmental, and I'm particularly sympathetic to the innocent victims of AIDS that uh, just never had a thought or an idea that they could be a victim of this very devastating illness. Now, teaching pharmacy and having a primary interest relative to the drugs that are developed for the treatment of HIV infection, uh, AIDS, and I'll sort of use those synonymously, although not everyone who is detected to uh, harbor the HIV virus develops the active infection that we know as AIDS. But we now have 25 different antiretroviral agents that have been approved and marketed in the United States. And those 25 new therapeutic agents, new antiretroviral drugs, have uh, been developed and marketed over a span of approximately 25 years. So on average, we have had about one new antiviral drug per year. Now, one of the ironies is, and as I look at my title of uh, new antiretroviral agents, during this past year there has not been a uh, new introduction of an antiretroviral drug, uh, but we do have some 
of the drugs that had been marketed over the last several years, uh, acquiring more experience with their use, and as a result, we find that some of the indications have been expanded or restrictions have been deleted, and we'll call attention to some of those as we um, uh, discuss them on an individual basis. Over the years, I've had a number of opportunities to write and speak on the topic of new drugs. And the questions I get most often from health professionals uh, go something like this. How does the new drug compare with the older drugs with which I'm already familiar? Does it have advantages? Does it have disadvantages? Is it a me-too drug? What's the anticipated role in therapy? And in uh, response to those questions, I reached the point where I thought it might be good to have at least a somewhat subjective uh, approach to uh, trying to um, rate the new drugs relative to their importance. So on this cover page of the handout, I've identified uh, what I uh, uh, designate as the new drug comparison rating system. And there's nothing especially magical about the rating system, but when a new drug comes out, whether it's an antiretroviral drug or another new drug, I will assign it a numerical rating on a scale of 1 to 5. Now, that rating will be assigned following my identification of what previously marketed drugs are most comparable to the new drug, what the advantages of the new drug can be identified to be, and what the disadvantages are. And then looking at that overall picture, make a determination or a suggestion of a rating that will help us position the new drug in the overall context of other agents that are approved for that same condition. So a rating of five would suggest an important advance in comparison with new drug, uh, with other previously marketed drugs. Now, I'm not too liberal in giving out that highest rating of five, and uh, that would typically be given to a new drug that maybe has been approved for a condition for which there was no effective therapy previously available. A rating of four suggests significant advantages. Now, those advantages could be... uh, greater efficacy, efficacy uh, against resistant strains of a microorganism, as the case uh, for some of these agents will be, greater margin of safety than previously marketed agents, or maybe greater convenience of administration. One of the challenges in treating HIV infection AIDS is oftentimes referred to as the pill burden, the complexity of the patient's therapy, not just the antiretroviral medications, but most of these medications can cause some significant adverse events, uh, hyperglycemia, for example. And if that, those glucose concentrations get high enough, you know, that prompts the need for uh, anti-diabetic medications to try to bring those glucose or glycosylated hemoglobin, A1C concentrations, down. So the complexity just builds as these medications are used, first of all, in combination. And then what do we find? Well, the more medications we use, the more drug interactions may occur, the more adverse events that occur. And when the adverse events occur, oftentimes the strategy, oh, well, we have another medication that will help uh, reduce the risk of those adverse events. 
So a rating of four, and actually it's a rating of four that I have given for each of the new agents that we're going to discuss specifically. A rating of three is sort of in the middle. Little or no, or no or minor, advantage or disadvantage. And uh, or, um, so these are the drugs that you know, sort of fall in the middle of the spectrum. Um, you know, nothing especially important that would suggest that this new agent uh, should all of a sudden rise to the top of the choices for treating the conditions for which it has been approved. And ratings of two and one are essentially negative ratings, that there are more disadvantages than advantages. Now, uh, I have several references identified at the bottom. Um, after assigning these ratings now for eight years, I, last year I put them together in a book and um, uh, have that available, uh, NDCR uh, 2009, which uh, has information on the 158 new drugs that were marketed in the period 2002 through 2008. But then the other um, reference I uh, identify here, um, aidsinfo.nih.gov. Um, among the documents you will find at that website are these. Uh, uh, th this is the scope of the information I spared you in carrying back to uh, your uh, you know, places of uh, where, where you live and work. But just for example, um, and we'll have some material extracted from this one, guidelines for the use of antiretroviral agents in HIV-1 infected adults and adolescents. And this is... Uh, a full 139 pages, very comprehensive, more than most of us would want to know about uh, the treatment of HIV infection, but understandably a lot of background information and, uh, you know, that goes into considerable depth. Now, uh, like we said, this topic is a moving target relative to information that becomes available. Uh, this particular document was uh, updated just about a year ago. This has a date of November 3rd, 2008. The guidelines for the use of antiretroviral agents in pediatric HIV infection, uh, February 23rd, 2009. So as additional studies are completed, as additional medications become available, uh, these are constantly being updated. And uh, this website, which I identify on the outline, is um, the best one, uh, is uh, one that can access any of those documents plus some additional ones that may uh, uh, have a focus uh, that is uh, uh, particular to your uh, personal responsibilities. Now, on the next page, I provide a list of the 25 antiretroviral agents that have been approved in the United States. And um, we can divide these into several subclasses based on their mechanism of action. The very first antiretroviral agent to be developed was zidovudine, also known as AZT or retrovir. And this was developed based on uh, a preliminary understanding of some of the processes through which the HIV virus uh, multiplies, uh, grows, propagates. And it was identified, first of all, that there is an enzyme designated as reverse transcriptase that is essential for the replication of the HIV virus. 
So the pharmaceutical companies started to uh, pursue research uh, in, uh, to develop drugs that could inhibit that action of that reverse transcriptase enzyme. Now, I, I should state right up front that even with the development of 25 antiretroviral agents having different mechanisms of action, we cannot cure HIV infection. Um, one of my particular areas of interest in teaching responsibility is infectious disease. And I'm just struck by some of the, you know, we can sort of put all those microorganisms in one big group, and, um, but then recognize the vast differences in the characteristics of these minuscule bugs that are causing the problems and the effectiveness that we can expect from drug therapy. And just as an example, and um, we might just use several different sexually transmitted infections as uh, examples to illustrate some of the differences in characteristics of bacteria and some of the differences, uh, bacteria and viruses, and so, some of the differences that exist with regard to what we can expect medications to do. The sexually transmitted infection, gonorrhea caused by a bacterial organism, uncomplicated gonorrhea can usually be cured with a single dose of the appropriate antibiotic. Now, let's look at a, an infection caused by a virus. Sexually transmitted infection, and we certainly uh, HIV infection be sexually transmitted, but let's consider uh, genital herpes caused by the herpes simplex virus. Viruses persist in the system. The most potent antiviral drugs do not completely eliminate viruses from the system. In genital herpes, our best hope is that with medications, we can suppress the virus so that it's not active and symptomatic at a given point in time. We're trying to reduce the frequency and severity of the relapses of that virus. HIV infection. Okay, we construct combination regimens of these antiretroviral agents. How long do we have to continue the use of these agents? For the rest of the patient's life. We, these drugs don't cure, don't eliminate the HIV virus. Yes, there has been uh, progress in reducing complications, such as some of the opportunistic infections. We've made progress in helping to prevent some of the problems like AIDS wasting uh, that has just a devastating effect on the entire system. But um, we don't eliminate the virus from the system. And not to get too far off the track, but the best example that I think of that illustrates the persistency of viruses in the system uh, occurs with the varicella zoster virus. Many of us are, are, are of an age that um, uh, we, were, we were born prior to the availability of the chickenpox vaccine. And uh, most of us experienced, or many of us uh, know, some of you are young enough to probably have gotten the chickenpox vaccine and uh, avoided it, chickenpox. But, um, you know, those of us who did experience chickenpox, we, we itched and we scratched for four or five days, and uh, then the chickenpox went away. Or at least we thought it went away. 
But for a number of decades, that virus, varicella zoster virus, remained inactive or dormant in our system. But unfortunately, once people get up into the 60s and 70s, that virus can return or be reactivated with a vengeance. Now, though, instead of calling it chickenpox, we call it shingles or herpes zoster. It's the same virus. It never really left our system. Now, why are those of us in the elderly category uh, vulnerable to that? Not really clear, although it's probably related to a gradual decline in our immune function as we age. Anyway, back to these antiretroviral agents. Zidovudine was the first, and it's characteristic that makes it a value in treating HIV infection is its ability to inhibit the reverse transcriptase enzyme that is essential for the replication of the HIV virus. Now, it's got a lot of company in that group, and um, the reason I, and we, uh, we further distinguish between some of these reverse transcriptase inhibitors, the early ones were called nucleosides. That uh, refers to their um, uh, pharmacologic properties and uh, their, their chemistry. Um, uh, but there is one of those agents, and I sort of uh, separated it by leaving a space there, tenofovir or viriad. And that one is referred to as a nucleotide reverse transcriptase inhibitor. And that's why up, uh, up there in the title for that group of uh, these, the abbreviation NRTI for nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, and then there's a designation N, and in brackets the T, the T for sort of extracted from nucleotide, and tenofovir is, is an example of that. So that's the grouping of nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. And then we have another group of reverse transcriptase inhibitors acting on the same enzyme, but their structure and mechanism of action in inhibiting that virus is slightly different. So we call these non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, and then we have four of those. In the mid-90s, there was a major breakthrough in the development of new antiretroviral drugs. And that was when the first HIV protease inhibitors were developed and marketed. Now, one way, and as I, you know, I don't know whether it's easier to learn these drugs one by one as they arrive on the market, or as uh, has been my experience, or as uh, the, the younger individuals in the room who, um, uh, you know, are sort of learning these, uh, you know, as a large, large group. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, my you know, 25 drugs in this group? Uh, how am I ever even going to become familiar with all these names of similar-sounding agents, let alone be uh, you know, familiar with the properties uh, of these and how they differ from each other? Well, there are some clues, and certainly this is um, evident in this group of HIV protease inhibitors. Uh, you look at those generic names, and every one of them concludes with VIR. Indeed, if you see a generic name for a medication, and if it has VIR, IR anywhere in the generic designation, there's a good clue. It's not a guarantee, but it's a good clue that uh, it's an antiviral agent. 
So with those agents, we have that. I might just note with the, uh, with the second group we have there, the non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, interestingly, the VIR is in the middle of the generic designations. Now, it's not necessarily a strategy, but sometimes in this, uh, the amazing complexity of uh, drug terminology, there are some clues that can be uh, uh, helpful to us. Uh, just for example, uh, in the this era of biotechnology and the development of medications that are targeted at certain receptors so that the action can be highly specific in treating those uh, particular uh, conditions. Um, uh, there are a group of uh, medications that are called monoclonal antibodies. Their activity is targeted. They're antibodies that are targeted against a particular receptor. Now, at first glance, the names of some of these agents, like uh, infliximab, uh, just, uh, wow, okay, that's a mouthful. But every one of those monoclonal antibody drugs has as the suffix of its generic name, MAB. So whenever you see a drug name that ends with MAB, it's a monoclonal antibody. Now, there are also some other clues as you back up in uh, these names, uh, infliximab, INFLIX, uh, IMAB. Well, back up from the MAB, you get XI. And that XI designation is used to designate drugs that are of chimeric origin. That is, more than one cell type, in this case, human and mouse cells as the source of uh, the, the particular drug. If it's a U rather than an XI, that suggests that it's a humanized monoclonal antibody. Um, see all the additional trivia you get in addition to the information on the uh, antiretroviral drugs? I... Uh, Keith, I'm going to put you in charge of pulling me back here if I uh, stray too far from uh, the, the, the topic. Anyway, we've got that group of HIV protease inhibitors, and the significance of these agents is they have a different mechanism of action because by this time we've learned that it's not just reverse transcriptase that is essential for the replication of the HIV virus. There are also other enzymes that exist in those viral cells that are necessary for replication. So now we have identified HIV protease, and we've got 10 of those different drugs that have the same mechanism of action but have some properties that may result in differences or uh, in situations in which one drug would be, referred, or would be preferred to another. Now, just uh, in late 2007, there was yet another advance, and that was based on the recognition that it's not just reverse transcriptase and HIV protease, there's an HIV integrase enzyme also involved in the replication of the HIV virus. And the drug that we note on the um, outline here is raltegravir, or Isentress, is the first of the HIV integrase inhibitors to be marketed. So now we have examples of drugs that act on three different enzymes. We then uh, identify what we call a fusion inhibitor. Now, this is yet another mechanism of action through which the entry of the HIV virus into healthy cells can be slowed down. And that's a, a different mechanism. And then we have a CCR5 antagonist. It has been observed that on the surface of, these, um, of the HIV viral cells, 
that there are certain receptors or co-receptors as they're referred to because there are multiple types of receptors. And this particular drug, Maraviroc Celzentri, is, uh, Celzentri is a brand name that sort of uh, is a playoff, uh, the, the, the concept of entry of the virus into the cell. And uh, this agent can uh, inhibit one of the types of receptors on the cell surface to help block the entry of the drug into the cell. Now, uh, I'm sorry, block the entry of the HIV virus from essentially moving from infected cells to adjacent non-infected cells. Now, we're going to be looking uh, specifically at the four newest agents. And interestingly, they uh, represent four different mechanisms of action. Just before doing that, I've provided some, um, uh, some of the uh, basic information that is of value in constructing the combination regimens that we'll be using. And let me just mention that for a moment. The rule for the treatment of an active HIV infection is combination therapy. We would never see HIV infection treated with just one antiretroviral drug. The, uh, the older experience, which is uh, the, the best analogy I can provide, is tuberculosis. Um, tuberculosis would never be treated with just one anti-tubercular drug. It's a combination regimen. And the benefits from combination regimens are several. First of all, by using drugs, typically that have different mechanisms of uh, activity, by using them in combination, we can achieve a synergistic or at least an additive antiviral action in this case. By having that more effective um, uh, action against the viruses, we can uh, have a reduction in the rate and hopefully prevent the emergence of resistant strains of the microorganism. If we use just one agent by itself, the likelihood of resistant strains developing would be much higher. Another benefit is that by choosing agents uh, that we're using in combination, we can use lower doses of each of the individual components of the combination regimen that might help reduce the risk of adverse events that would be more likely to occur if we use just one agent in a larger dose. And then by constructing um, uh, combination regimens, we may be able to balance out or cancel out some of the adverse events. For example, if there are, one of the medications has a tendency to increase blood lipid concentrations, maybe there's another medication that would also that could be used in combination that would lower blood lipid concentrations. The hope being that you know those uh, activities might balance out. Now, on this um, page of uh, guidelines, and this, uh, you know, I, I just uh, made the, first of all, how to cite the adult and adolescent guidelines. So uh, that, that's my, one of my 
one reason for including that is, uh, you know, this is not my information. I'm not plagiarizing it or stealing it from anybody. Uh, that belongs to those guidelines that we uh, provided the website for. But down there at the bottom of that page, the basis for recommendations. And this provides what they call a rating scheme for the recommendations. And let, let's look first of all at the uh, left column of that table, the strength of the recommendation. Well, if a recommendation has a designation A after it, that means that there is a solid basis for a strong recommendation for that particular treatment. And then as you go to A, B, and C, the strength of the recommendation declines. Over there on the, uh, in the right part of the table, the quality of evidence for the recommendation. Now, this is an indication as to whether there are studies out there that provide the documentation that we'd be looking for, or in the case of uh, Roman numeral three, there really are not definitive or conclusive studies, but the body of expert opinion is considered sufficient, at least at this point, in the um, study of those drugs to come up with uh, that, uh, recommend, that particular recommendation. Now, as you look over at the next page in the handout uh, to what's designated as Table 6, and again, this is from this uh, document to which I just made reference, we have here the recommendations for individuals who are treatment naive. In other words, uh, this will be the first point at which antiretroviral agents are used for the treatment of the HIV infection slash uh, AIDS. And we have guidelines here. Um, patients naive to re antiretroviral therapy should be started on, uh, first of all, combination regimen that consists of either. And they provide some options here. And bases for considering which option to use might be uh, influenced by what other medical conditions the patient might already have. Do they already have diabetes or congestive heart failure or hypertension? These are some of the factors that would go into a decision as to what agents to use in constructing that regimen. But the first option that's listed here is one non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor plus two nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. So the regimens that are recommended for initial treatment are comprised of three different agents. Now, we're focusing our, our attention here on the initial treatment for people who, the treatment naive, who've not been treated before for this viral infection. For some individuals who have been treated and who are considered uh, as needing yet additional agents, we can see some of these regimens going up past three, four, five, six different agents, not necessarily all at one time, but if resistant strains develop, that would be the basis for changing the regimen to another combination of antiretroviral agents. Indeed, some of the clinical studies of the new drugs have been conducted in patients who were previously treated with anywhere from two to seven different antiretroviral agents prior to the use of the new agents that are being developed. Now, the other primary option that we have here is a PI or protease inhibitor, preferably boosted with ritonavir. 
Now, ritonavir was one of the first antiretroviral agents to be marketed back in the mid-90s. It could be used by itself for its antiviral activity. But in fact, when we see ritonavir included in a regimen, typically it's included for the purpose of boosting or increasing the activity of another drug in the regimen. Now, how does it do that? Well, one of the first things that we learned about ritonavir was that it had a high capacity to inhibit certain of the metabolic uh, enzyme pathways that are involved in the metabolism of many other therapeutic agents. And from these drugs are expensive. Um, and one, not a, I'm going to call it a trick, strategy is a better, better word. One strategy for perhaps reducing the cost of therapy as well as effectiveness is to use, by using ritonavir in combination with one of these other, uh, well, just for example, one combination with atazanavir or reataz. We could use a lower dose of atazanavir by also using a small dose of ritonavir, which would inhibit its metabolism, increase its concentration, and therefore its effectiveness. So not only is the combination regimen uh, more effective, we can use a lower dose of one of the agents, which may permit a lower cost. Now, uh, I don't want to attach too much significance to the lower cost because even with a lower dosage, these medications are still expensive and realistically are not accessible to a large part of the world's population uh, for no reason other than cost. And obviously this is uh, a challenge that faces us in the uh, uh, richer countries as to what the steps we can take to provide needed therapy to those um, who, uh, you know, just will not have uh, a very good prospect either for quality of life or length of life if uh, they cannot be provided with some of these medications. But anyway, that's the um, uh, explanation behind the protease inhibitor boosted with ritonavir. And then to that protease inhibitor, we add two nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. Now, in the other part, the rest of this table, we have the information regarding the options. And the first is the non-nucleoside reverse, transcript, uh, uh, reverse transcriptase inhibitor, and the preferred option of uh, this group of four agents is the antiviral agent known generically as Favarens. Sustiva is the brand name. Now, this has some properties that make it advantageous for use when compared with the other agents in this class, one of which is it has a longer duration of action that permits less frequent administration, usually once a day. With the early antiretroviral drugs, we were using them twi at least twice a day, sometimes three. When Zydovia, I mean, I back in 85 or so, when Zydovudine or Retrovir became available, um, Every four hours was the recommended frequency of administration. Well, with additional experience and study, we've learned that that drug can be given less frequently, particularly when in used in combination. But back in 85, it was the, you know, combination therapy, there's only one drug available. 
that's been demonstrated to be effective. And it was used that frequently in the initial period of use. So anyway, we have a favorens that can be administered just once a day. So going from every four hours, and I remember that, that, that time, and the question would be, well, can't we, if, if the patients are able to uh, sleep well at night, can't we at least uh, avoid a dose in the middle of the night and let them go six or eight hours? With, and it was, well, based on what we know, no, we, we should keep that every four-hour regimen, uh, you know, maintained on a continuing basis. So that's one of the ways in which we've come a long way in uh, constructing or developing new agents that have advantages over some of the earlier ones. Let's look down there at the protease inhibitor options if we choose that regimen as the one to construct. Well, let's, uh, oh, yeah, let me just back up for a moment to uh, the recommendation for efavirenz, um, the um, uh, the rec specific recommendation, it's an A, strong recommendation, and one, there's one or more randomized trials with clinical outcomes and or validated laboratory endpoints. Okay, down to the pro uh, protease inhibitor options. Um, preferred protease inhibitors, starting, and, and it, these are actually listed alphabetically, and there are several options here that could, could be considered. But the one thing that I want to uh, call attention to here is... Um, uh, that all four of those preferred options for protease inhibitors include ritonavir for the purpose of boosting the activity of the other protease inhibitor that's uh, uh, included there. And you can see the dosage regimen once a day, once a day for most of those. And then down below, if we um, select that combination approach that utilizes a protease inhibitor with a nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor, uh, the preferred one is a combination of tenofovir and emtricitabine. So with that as background, let's look at the uh, four newest drugs that have uh, been developed uh, for use in combination regimens uh, for the treatment of HIV infection and um, AIDS. Now, the approach that I take, and I alluded to this in my earlier comments, uh, what I uh, try to do is, first of all, identify a comparable, the com drugs that are most comparable to the new drug, and then look at that and make a comparison. What are the advantages for the newer drug? What are the disadvantages? And then I come up with this rating. So the first one of these that we'll look at is Darunavir, Persista is the brand name, and this was initially marketed in 2006. The VIR suffix for the generic name, uh, we said all the protease inhibitors uh, had VIR as a suffix, and it's not just protease inhibitors. There are some other antiviral drugs um, for uh, acyclovir, for herpes simplex infections, for example, that also end with VIR. Now let's look at the indication here, and um, some, of the, some of the terminology will be pretty consistent with uh, the others. Co-administered with ritonavir and used with other antiretroviral agents for the treatment of HIV-1 infection, I'm sorry, HIV infection, initially when this was first approved, it was only approved for use in adults. Does that mean it won't be effective in pediatric patients? No. It meant that at that point in time when the company submitted its new drug application to the Food and Drug Administration, the studies that had been conducted to support the approval of the new drug had only been conducted in adults. Now, subsequently, the 
company has evaluated the drug in pediatric patients, and we have seen the extension of the indication approved by the FDA to also include pediatric patients six years of age and older. Um, so anyway, we, uh, this is the newest of the protease inhibitors. Now, there were nine protease inhibitors already on the market when Darunavir joined them in 2006. And the drug to the example of that class to which I've chosen to compare it is Tepranavir, which was marketed just a year prior to that in 2005. Aptivus is the brand name for uh, Tepranavir formulations. Now, both Tepranavir and Darunavir in clinical studies have been suggested, well, not just, more, it's more than suggested. They've been determined to be effective against certain strains of HIV that have become resistant to the previously marketed protease inhibitors. So, uh, as we look at advantages for this new drug, may be active against HIV strains that are resistant to other antiretroviral agents. And, and, boy, that's a plus. I mean, the other agents have been around long enough that, unfortunately, these bugs have, I mean, never underestimate the capacity of microorganisms to, you know, uh, create pathways through which they can resist the action of the, of the antimicrobial agents that were initially effective and highly active even against them. Less risk of intracranial hemorrhaging. Wow. Uh, you know, we've said that uh, these drugs have adverse events, but intracranial hemorrhaging, uh, that has emerged in clinical experience as a rare, but obviously a very important risk with tepranavir. Uh, that wasn't observed in the clinical studies. That wasn't really recognized until tepranavir was out there and started to be used more extensively and unfortunately, as if individuals with HIV infection don't have enough challenges, some of them started experiencing these sorts of reports. And uh, parenthetically, I note there, that is the subject of a black box warning for tepranavir. When the FDA identifies, there are certain ways in which the FDA can send a message that this drug should be avoided or there is a risk that is so important that health professionals and others involved in the patient's care should be uh, clearly aware of it and on guard against uh, you know, the development of the problem or in a position to intervene if the problem exists. And um, a a boxed warning or a black box warning, as it's designated by some, is the it's bold print, it's larger type. It appears right at the beginning of the package insert. And by package inserts uh, that uh, health professionals uh, receive uh, or are included in the physician's desk reference and some other publications, for these drugs, you know, it's not just a page. It's page after page after page. And uh, it's usually small print that almost defies you to read it. So, you know, you're looking for other resources that are more practical to use. Anyway, less risk of intracranial hemorrhage, less risk of clinical hepatitis and hepatic decompensation. Uh, these are also black box warnings in the labeling for tepranavir or aptivus. Um, another observation, dosage of ritonavir that is co-administered is lower. Now, 
Why might that be of significance? Well, we mentioned that ritonavir, first of all, we want to use it in these regimens because it boosts or increases the activity of the other protease inhibitor in the regimen. But patients are, no, uh, are likely to be taking a number of other medications that may also be substrates or are metabolized by that same metabolic system that can be inhibited by ritonavir. And if we can use a lower amount, as is recommended in the dosage for this agent, that can reduce the um, clinical significance or importance of some of those interactions of ritonavir with other drugs. And um, does not need to be stored in a refrigerator. Now, you know, in this country, I mean, is that really even worth mentioning as an advantage? Well, the capsule formulation of tepranavir, Aptivis, has to be stored in the refrigerator. I mean, on a mission field, uh, the opportunity to keep something cool. Uh, I mean, you know, this country, uh, well, you know, big deal. I mean, unless you live in Phoenix or somewhere where it's, uh, you, know, in the, you know, even, you know, short periods of time out in 120-degree heat is uh, nothing against Phoenix. Uh, Got to be politically correct here. And there are other locations also that get very hot in this country. But it's, uh, anyway, um, you know, the, the formulation does not need to be stored in a refrigerator. So we have a number of advantages there. Disadvantages may be more likely to cause serious rash. And down there under the discussion of most important risks and adverse events, uh, their rash is identified as a potential problem. And if a severe rash develops, the recommendation is immediately discontinue treatment. And then um, another disadvantage may be more likely to interact with certain medications. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on these uh, risks and adverse events, but you know, just as you sort of glance through these, starting with hepatitis, even though we said that there's a lesser risk of hepatitis with this drug than the one we're comparing it to, this drug also can cause this problem in some individuals. Hyperglycemia, so that puts into place, even if the individual didn't have diabetes to begin with, maybe the increase in blood glucose concentrations will rise to the point where uh, the need for uh, anti-diabetic medications uh, might occur. Rash. And then pretty much the rest of that discussion of um, the most important risks and adverse events deals with potential drug interactions. Now, there are certain other medications whose use is contraindicated in patients receiving darunavir, and there are some other interactions that may not be clinically important to the point where we should avoid concurrent use, but treatment will need to be closely monitored because uh, uh, maybe there will be a need to adjust the dosage of either the antiretroviral drug or the other uh, medications with which the interaction may occur. Some individuals may be on uh, treatment programs for opioid addiction. Methadone is one of the interventions that has been used uh, for some, but uh, this is an interaction 
the action of uh, this drug may decrease the activity of methadone. And if that was not recognized up front, it could be that the individual would experience opioid withdrawal symptoms because the methadone was not acting as effectively as it had been previously. Women who are uh, using uh, hormonal contraceptives, the action of the contraceptives may be reduced by the... So long list of drug interactions. Um, Incidentally, among the products that can increase the activity of certain enzymes that metabolize other drugs are certain herbal products. So um, even though there is almost a vacuum of clinical studies regarding the herbal products and dietary supplements that for practical purposes, are not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. So they're out there, and as long as the companies don't make therapeutic claims for their use, uh, they're out there in nutrition stores as well as pharmacies and other places. But uh, one of the products we identify here as an interacting product is St. John's Wort. St. John's Wort is one of the most commonly purchased herbal products for symptoms like depression and anxiety, but we've learned enough about St. John's Wort to know that it is a potent inducer. It increases the activity of the SIP or CYP3A4 metabolic pathway, and if it's used along with medications that are metabolized by that pathway, the activity of those drugs will be reduced by the concurrent use of St. John's Wort. Um, I've given this a rating of four. There are patients for whom this can be used advantageously, and indeed in that um, uh, listing of preferred options or recommended options for protease inhibitors, darunavir was uh, uh, with ritonavir was one of the um, uh, examples identified. Next drug for which we uh, have specific information on the outline is raltegravir, or Isentres, and I've given this a rating of four also. Now, when this was first marketed in late 2007, the recommendation or the indication was for combination use Um, Well, let's just look at the the way I have it on the outline. The way it reads right now, as recently revised by Food and Drug Administration along with uh, Merck, the company marketing it, right now it reads, in combination with other antiretroviral agents for the treatment of HIV-1 infection in adult patients. Now, I have in parentheses there the indication when it was initially approved in late 2007, actually less than two years ago. Initially, it was approved only for use in treatment-experienced patients with evidence of HIV-1 strains that were resistant to the antiretroviral medications that had been prescribed earlier. Now, um, why would that restriction have been included initially? Well, essentially, that was, that, that was the patient population that was studied when this drug was first being evaluated. One of the thoughts was, okay, this drug is the first to act against, to inhibit HIV integrase, and that's a different mechanism of action. Might this drug demonstrate activity against strains of the HIV virus that were resistant to the earlier drugs, and sure enough, the studies demonstrated that. 
So that's a key property. Now the question becomes, should this drug be put out there and uh, health professionals uh, be told, okay, this is unique. The potential value is great. And, you know, start using it as soon as possible. Patients who haven't been treated before in combination regimens or because of the unique mechanism of action and the activity against resistant strains of the HIV virus, should we say, let's hold, let's reserve the use of this drug that has unique value for the patients who were effectively treated with the conventional regimens who have now become resistant. Now, one of the reasons for which that's a question at all is that the greater the extent to which any of these agents are used, the faster the virus will find ways to become resistant. And when they do, that significantly diminishes the value of a drug that initially could be a life-prolonging drug. So that's the, that's the big debate. Well, uh, the FDA... Um, initially said only for treatment-experienced patients whose infection shows evidence of resistant strains of the HIV virus developing. Um, Merck has done additional clinical studies. Uh, There is also increasing thought that perhaps there will be even better results not only early on in the treatment of HIV infection, AIDS, but over the longer period of time, maybe we will have greater success by effectively using combinations that include even the newer agents. So with those concepts in mind, the FDA has just recently removed that restriction. And this is an agent that could be included in an initial treatment regimen. Now, here's a situation in which the action of the FDA, we, we've, the, the clinical guidelines have not yet caught up. Uh, we didn't include raltegravir in those uh, optimum regimens for treatment-naive patients. Uh, now, this relaxing or removal of the restriction permits that to occur. Um, advantages, unique mechanism of, oh, I'm comparing it with the protease inhibitors because that's another group of agents that acts in uh, preventing the um, uh, activity or inhibiting the activity of one of the enzymes needed for replication of the HIV virus. But the new agent, unique mechanism of action, effective in some patients who become resistant. And one of the reasons for which I think the FDA was willing to permit use of this drug at an earlier point than had been the case when they first approved it is, the experience so far would suggest that this drug has less risk of adverse events and drug interactions when compared with uh, most of the previously marketed drugs. There are a couple disadvantages there. Just for one, it's administered twice a day. Uh, Our preference would be once a day. But uh, this does represent, I'd say, the most important recent advance in the development of new antiretroviral drugs. Now, just moving uh, quickly with some brief comments about the last two, Maraviroc, Cell Zentry. Uh, this adds a degree of complexity to um, uh, 
that 23 of the 25 antiretroviral drugs act within the cell, within the viral cells, to inhibit the action of one of the viruses needed, I'm sorry, one of the enzymes needed for replication of the virus. Now, Maraviroc, we said, acted, actually it's called a CCR5 co-receptor antagonist. Now, uh, the CCR5 is a protein on the surface of the cell, and essentially this drug, by inhibiting those receptors, reduces the transfer of the virus from an infected cell to a non-infected cell. Now, um, it's a different mechanism of action. Okay, that, that's... I commend the type of research that leads to the rec this recognition, but not all individuals who have HIV infection uh, demonstrate this receptor protein on the surface of the cells. There are multiple receptors on the surface of the cells, and this, it's estimated maybe 60% of individuals infected with HIV have CCR5 as one of the receptor types. Uh, we make reference in the, this uh, monograph of information to one of the other co-receptors, CXCR4, and this drug is not active against that co-receptor. So that becomes, uh, first of all, we have to do some testing for which uh, uh, laboratory uh, diagnostic materials are available to make sure that the HIV cell type is a match for the properties of this drug. Indication combination with other antiretroviral agents for treatment experienced adult patients uh, and who have evidence of uh, viral replication. Essentially, this is the way raltegravir started. Now, just recently, an FDA advisory committee met to, sit, to, to specifically discuss whether this restriction should be relaxed or removed. And their recommendation, I think by a 10 to 4 vote, was that, yes, the indication should be revised to permit or recommend the use of this drug earlier in the treatment process because of its unique mechanism of action. Uh, Every one of these drugs has uh, a risk of some potentially severe adverse events. Bob and I were talking earlier about whether uh, there is documentation of uh, significant uh, destructive type of adverse events as these products are used over longer periods of time and some of the individuals who are afflicted uh, start to uh, uh, progress or advance further in age. And it's sort of an unanswered question, uh, partly because, unfortunately, uh, many individuals with HIV infection who are part of the study groups uh, don't have uh, the luxury of a long life expectancy because of the uh, pathogenicity of the infection. Anyway, I've given this a uh, of four. And then last but not least, etravirine. This is the newest of the antiretroviral drugs, just having been marketed uh, last year. Now, this has a tradition, one of the uh, older mechanisms of action. It's a non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor. But the feature about this drug that emerges from the clinical studies as being advantageous is that it is been demonstrated to be effective in some patients who had developed resistance to the other non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase drugs already on the market. 
So anyway, uh, we've given this a rating of four. At least the newest agents have some properties that we can consider to be advantages when compared with uh, the older agents. We've run out of time. Uh, in fact, even a minute or two passed. Uh, thanks very much for coming and for your attention. If you have any questions, I'll uh, be hanging around here, and I'll be happy to respond to them individually. Have a good day, and thanks for coming. <laughs>